Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Hey, we're almost through this book, uh, chapter 27, and I know it's kind of weird. Sometimes you, you, I can't break it up. I got to break it up how God's Word breaks it up. It doesn't always happen by chapters. Chapters and verses uh, are not inspired. Um, there's something that people put in there. I'm glad they did so we can find where we're going to be here pretty quickly this morning. But um, th- this account really goes into chapter 28, and I think um, next week I'll be in New York at uh, worshiping and, and serving uh, at Nueva Vida. Pastor Tommy's going to be preaching. But after that, I think we'll wrap up chapter 28, and we've gone through the book of Acts. And um, so last week, at the beginning of chapter 27, we learned of Paul's journey to Rome uh, by boat under Roman military guard to have his case heard before the Roman emperor, Caesar. And the first part of that trip, uh, it did not go so well. The boat was caught in a terrible storm. And until the Lord revealed to Paul that everybody was going to make it through, uh, just about everybody uh, was completely hopeless that they would survive. We're going to finish up chapter 27 this morning, head into the final chapter of Acts. And we learn here that God kept his word. What God told Paul would happen, uh, happened. God saved Paul from the storm. And then he saved Paul from a snake bite. And... um, We're reminded in this passage once again, why does God does that? Why God saves us at all? And he saves us to serve. Before we study this verse by verse, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we we echo the cry of David in Psalm 119, and we ask you to open our eyes this morning that we might behold wondrous things from your word. It's your word um, that's quick, it's alive. Uh, This is what brought us to faith in you. This is Um, what your Holy Spirit used to uh, help us begin in our relationship with you. And it's what your Holy Spirit uses to to sustain us as followers of Jesus, to grow us, to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. I pray that would happen here this morning. So together we join right now and we ask you to have your Holy Spirit open the eyes of our hearts so that we might understand what it is you have for us in this section of Scripture And uh, even more important than that, that we would respond to it. However, your Holy Spirit uh, burdens us, weighs on us, uh, lovingly uh, pairs away things that don't need to be in our life and shows us what what does. Uh, And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul's saved from the storm here in in verses 27 to 44 of chapter 27. Uh, In the the first half of the book, Paul had informed the passengers on this ship that the Lord had given him a message. Um, In in the middle of the storm, God had told him that while the boat was going to be destroyed, all of the passengers would survive. And that gave everybody some hope when Paul told them that. Um, But the storm didn't immediately stop howling right then. And there, verse 27 lets us know it continued now for the 14th straight night. Um, That boat was being driven up and down, it says, in the Adriatic Sea. 
Um, at 14 straight nights, uh, I, since I've been here in 2002, um, we had some hurricanes where it was three or four nights, and that was plenty long. I mean, where there was rain and wind and the effects were that long. Of course, after effects are, are longer. Um, but it says there that the ship's crew, since they were getting closer uh, to land, uh, they sent down a, a lead weight on a rope, and they found the depth to be 120 feet, or as it says here in the King James, 20 fathoms. They took another measurement a little bit later. Verse 28 says that was 90 feet, or 15 fathoms. So it's definitely getting more shallow, right? And um, verse 29 lets us know that they began to fear, well, if we're getting near shore, um, we don't want to be smashed upon the rocks. It says we should have fallen upon the rocks. That was their worry. So they, they let out four anchors out of the back, out of the stern of the boat to try to hold it in place that night. And meanwhile, it says that the ship's crew, they come up with a devious plan. Uh, it's mentioned there in verse 30. Uh, the plan is to lower the lifeboat and then leave all of the soldiers and all of the prisoners behind. That's what the crew wants to do. The King James at the end of verse 30 says, under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. It means that they, the ship's crew pretended to go to the front of the boat to let down anchors out of the bow uh, there, but, but really they were going to bail out. They were going to take the lifeboat and bail out. In verse 31, Paul informs the Roman army soldiers, if they do that, they're going to perish. Uh, the Lord must have, when he gave Paul the message, he must have communicated to Paul, everybody's got to stay with the boat in order for what I've promised you to, to come true. So the soldiers, they listen to Paul. They cut the ropes off the lifeboat. They let it fall into the sea. And then here in verses 33 uh, through 35, Paul is really interesting because this guy is a prisoner and, and we're seeing this transformation happen here. He's gone from, he kind of has an unusual promotion. Uh, he's gone from prisoner to, for all practical purposes, he's a master and commander of the ship now, at least the Roman centurion. He's listening to him more than he's listening to the ship's crew. Uh, Paul encourages everybody in verses 33 through 35 to have some breakfast because apparently um, nobody has eaten anything for 14 days. Maybe from fasting and praying, uh, probably also from being a little too nauseated and seasick to eat anything. Uh, regardless, that's a very long time to go without any food, to go without nutrition, especially when you're working so hard just trying to stay alive. And it says that Paul publicly gave thanks for the bread. And verse 36 says, then they were all of good cheer and they also took some meat. Everybody had some food. The meat being the King James word, just meaning food. And they were going to need it. For what was ahead here, uh, we learn in verse 37 how many people were on this boat exactly, how many people were in this dangerous situation, 276. And so that means excluding Paul and Luke and Aristarchus, uh, there are likely 273 people on this boat who were not believers, might have never heard the gospel, um, but they're witnessing Paul's faith in the Lord here, aren't they? All 273 of them, according to verse 38, after they eat, they continue to lighten the ship. This time they throw overboard all of the wheat that was headed from Egypt to Rome, and daylight finally comes, and they see the shore. Verse 39 says, they saw a certain creek into which they were minded, if possible, to, to thrust the ship. They said, let's go there. There's a creek. There's a sandy beach. Let's, let's end this thing. They want to run it aground on that safe sandy beach and finally reach land. And so, so they took up the anchors. There in verse 39, um, 
There's a word in italics, says they committed themselves, meaning when it's in italics, it's not in the actual text, but it was put in there to help us understand. I believe what it's saying there is they took up the anchors and they threw them into the sea. They want to lighten the ship and just let it get to land. They hoist the mainsail and they, they give that plan a go. But verses 41 and 42, it lets us know that they did not quite make it to that shore. Instead, the ship runs aground where two currents met, some rocky shoal, the, the bow of the ship stuck fast there. Um, by the rear of the ship, it's being smashed to pieces by this still fierce storm. And so the soldiers on board, they plan to do what they do, normally do in, in such a situation. See, if the prisoners under their charge, uh, if they were to escape, that soldier would be given the penalty, whatever penalty that prisoner was given. In this case, most of them, like I had said last week, are going to the arena to die. Uh, they don't want to do that, so they plan to kill all the prisoners on board. But the centurion, he decides, he desires to save Paul. Verses 43 and 44 say he kept them from their purpose. And he tells everybody, if you can swim, jump overboard and, and get to land. If you can't swim, grab some boards, grab some pieces of the ship and make for land. Did God keep his word? Everybody survived. That's what it says. That's what God had told them back in the first half of chapter 27, that every person on this ship would survive. Uh, exactly what he told Paul would happen, just as he said. The ship was lost, smashed to pieces, but all the passengers on that ship, including Paul, they were saved from the storm. Let's go into chapter 28 now. And uh, the first verse of chapter 28 lets us know everybody made it to shore, sure enough. And uh, they didn't know where they were exactly. Uh, but they, once they get to shore, they learn that they're on the island of Melita or Malta, what we call Malta uh, today. So it's just south of the larger island of Sicily, meaning it's just south of Italy where their, uh, their end destination is. And verse 2 says, And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. So that doesn't mean these are like wild barbarians like Attila the Hun or anything like that. Uh, that's just a term for anybody who didn't speak Greek or Roman. That's what they call them, barbarians. Uh, anybody who uh, was not culturally Greek or, or Roman. And it says, in fact, the people of, of Malta here, they showed uh, these castaways great kindness. Verse 2 says, they kindled the fire there on the beach for everybody who was cold and, and had been drenched for, for two weeks. And something kind of crazy happens in verses 3 to 6. Um, we find Paul gathering firewood to keep the fire going. That's not the crazy part, but I kind of do want to pause there because it's noteworthy. We have a good example that we can all follow here. It, it doesn't matter who you are. There's, there's nothing that you're above. Yeah, there's nothing that you shouldn't be doing. You might be a pastor. There ain't nothing keeping you from cleaning a toilet. You might be a, a deacon or a chairperson of a committee. Doesn't matter. We can learn from Paul's example here that we lead best by leading by example. Paul's gathering firewood. The crazy part comes at the end of verse 3. Paul throws a firewood on the burning pile, and what happens? A viper comes out of the heat and it fastened on his hand. And there's something here for us to learn from Paul's experience too. I want you to notice what Paul didn't do. He didn't explode in frustration here. Uh, he didn't even cry out in prayer, why me, God? <laughs> I mean, I just spent two weeks in a boat. I just spent the last two years in prison. All I've wanted to do is share the gospel like you told me to do, God. And, and now I, I get bit by this snake. Can I catch a break, God? 
I mean, yes, you just sovereignly saved me from a storm, but it was an exhausting nearly three-week storm, and now you let me get bit by a poisonous snake? What are you doing, God? Does Paul do any of that? No, that's not his attitude at all. Now, I've got to tell you, I know God's wise, but in all of his creation, snakes are my least favorite critter. <laughs> I, I mean, I like mosquitoes better than snakes. Um, least favorite critter. Uh, I do not know that I would respond like Paul does here <laughs> to what just happened. I think it was about two months ago now. I went outside in the morning, and it's still kind of dark, uh, and doing my duck chores. And, and um, in one of our coops, we, we have like a little shelter with their little food and their night food. You know, they got their daytime food out there. But in case they get hungry at night, we always put a little one in there. And, and I reached in there to, to grab it and go, and I felt something. And I was like, what in the world is that? And uh, flipped the lid, and I had put my hand on about a one-foot-long, cold-up baby copperhead. And uh, let me tell you what my reaction was. <laughs> For about two minutes, walking around the backyard, thanking God, just checking, and two holes, two holes, two holes, no, no, no. I'm feeling all right, I'm all right, all right. And um, yeah, ugh, it fastened to Paul's hand. I remember I had my... Fitbit on, and I was about melting. The heart rate was so high on that thing. It fastened to Paul's hanging there. And um, the people of Malta, it says here, and everyone else I'm sure who witnessed this, uh, they come to a real quick conclusion re uh, regarding what happened according to verse 4. This guy must be a murderer. I mean, he just got saved from a terrible storm, but, but the gods, it says vengeance, the divine justice of the gods, small g gods. Um, now they're making sure he's going to get what he deserves. But Paul wasn't killed, was he? I mean, not even swollen. He took, it says verse 5 and 6, he shook off the beast, I would too, um, into the fire. He felt no harm, it says. Not even any swelling. He sure didn't fall down dead. And of course, then all these people they, who had jumped to that previous conclusion, they jump all the way to the opposite one. Oh, this guy must be not a murderer. He's a god. He's a god. Now, it doesn't say here. I'm going to assume Paul responded the same way that he did years earlier when the people of Lystra saw him do a miracle and, and they said Paul was a god. I'm, I'm sure Paul said, no way. <laughs> Y'all are confused. Uh, I'm just a man like you. Paul wasn't a god, but he was God's. Amen? He was God's. You remember Paul's statement of faith uh, from the first half of chapter 27 uh, when God told him that they'd be saved from the storm? Paul said that he had received a message from the Lord, whose I am. I'm God's. Whose I am. Uh, and God told them that they would all make it through. And this was Paul's declaration. I believe God. I believe what he said, that it shall be just as it was told to me. I'm guessing Paul remembered the words of Jesus about his disciples going on mission. And we find them in Mark 16, 18. It says, they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and, and they shall recover. I, I mean, I think seeing this experience here by Paul as a fulfillment of that scripture makes a whole lot more sense than some of those churches that take up snakes. I don't think we're to be doing that. Um, we can't really move on, though, without considering what might be a symbolic message here and what happened intended by God for us. Uh, God had saved Paul from a storm. Now, I believe uh, that the devil would have loved to have Paul sink in that boat along with everybody else. 
for Paul to perish out in that sea. So then what does the devil do once God delivers him from the storm? The devil sends a snake, just like scripture speaks of him being. Uh, and please remember, whenever dangerous circumstances, whenever tough trials come our way, God's got a purpose in them. He does. Um, but so does the devil. So does the devil. God wants you to go through uh, that tough circumstance glorifying him, <laughs> trusting him. God sends them your way for the construction of your faith. He wants to build your faith and those, the faith of those who watch you go through it. Now, the devil has just the opposite intent in that very same circumstance, the very same thing you're going through. Uh, he desires the destruction of your faith. Uh, he wants you to not glorify God in it. He just as soon you follow the instruction of Job's wife, why don't you just curse God and die? effect will be. You do. You do, Christian. By whether or not you'll obey God's word, whether or not you'll trust the Lord. Will, you, will your faith stay firm? Will you let God get the glory? Or are you going to give it to your circumstance? Will you allow God to use your faith staying firm to strengthen others' faith? Or will you let the storm or will you let the snake bite? Will you let whatever it is destroy what God desires to do through you and speak through you? And we're reminded here that we're saved to serve. Verses 7 uh, and 8, the top government official of this island, Publius, he, he comes to these castaways and God provides again, says he lodged us for three days courteously. They're taken off the beach. Um, he, Publius had a father who was sick. King James Version says he's got a bloody flux, probably um, dysentery. And uh, verse 8 tells us that Paul prayed and Paul laid his hands on him. And Paul healed him. And verse 9 says others also, which had diseases on the island, they came and they were healed. Uh, it is interesting in verse 9, uh, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, who got inspired to write the book of Acts, he uses a different word for heal in verse 9 than he did for what Paul did in verse 8. And I think it's possible, you know, what was Luke's occupation? He's a doctor. I think it's possible that God used Luke to heal because God uses doctors and nurses and things to heal. And God used Luke on mission here, just like he used Paul in a different way. Both of them are healing, just different manner of healing. Um, but here's, here's what I want to draw your attention to. Paul chose to be on mission here. He realized he was saved to serve. God made that very clear to Paul when he called him to faith. He's way, way back in Acts chapter 8 when, when Paul got saved. He said, you're going to serve the gospel. That's what you're going to do for the rest of your life, Paul. Uh, that's what God tells us. Now, we, we might not have had that when somebody said, you know, you need to admit, believe, confess. You need to put your faith in Jesus. And from here on out, you're going to serve the gospel. That, that's God's intent. That's why he saved you. You were saved to serve. This was Paul's testimony, just like Pastor Tommy said when we sang, I love to tell the story earlier. Always on mission. Always. There was no break. His whole life. I mean, this guy has just come off being shipwrecked. Did he say, I need a two-way vacation. I need some downtime. He had just uh, got done being bitten by a poisonous snake. But even on that boat, even in the middle of the storm, he sees this opportunity to testify about the Lord, to point people to salvation in Christ. And Paul sees this on this island, just being bitten by a snake. He sees an opportunity here. Publius' father is sick. Other people are sick. 
He sees an opportunity to be on mission and he seizes it. God, give us all that kind of perspective, please. That's my prayer for myself and for each one of us here. Do not let me just coast through life. God, help us to have the eyes of Jesus. Because there's needs all around us, aren't there? All around us. We can't do it on our own. So I pray in, in your strength, Lord, help us to have the kind of dedication, the kind of devotion to the single task. The single task that Jesus gave each one of us before he left us. Until he returns, until he calls us home, his task was that you and I would be always on mission. That as we're going, I mean, I know, I know like you, I need to go to food line and buy groceries. I understand. That's not wrong for you to do. When you do that, be on mission. <laughs> you need to go to work and earn a living. When you do that, make sure you're being on mission. You need to go have fun. Be on vacation. Don't coast through that. Ask God to make you aware of different opportunities he's bringing across your path to always be on mission. Lord, help us comprehend wherever we are, whether at home, at work, at school, in the car, at the supermarket, wherever we are, there's always opportunities all around us all the time for you and I to testify of our faith in, in Christ, to be making disciples, to be loving, to tell the story. And that's my prayer that our mission, you know, if you look at our church documents and we reference it here, I, Tommy does, I do, Daniel does. I mean, our, our mission, you want to say, what, what's our mission? It's to make the name of Jesus treasured here, there, and everywhere. That's what it says. And that's what we believe. God help that to jump off the paper. And for it to be more than just a motto that we can rattle off, but to be a manner of life. Like this is what Dublin First Baptist Church, the people in it, that's what they're about. Always being on mission. In verses 11 to 16, these castaways, they board another ship. The dangerous winter sailing season is now over. They finally make their way to Sicily. Then the Italian mainland, they head toward Rome. It's awesome to see what happens here along the way. Christians come out to meet Paul. Uh, these are Christians he has never met. Paul's never been to Rome. Two years earlier, he wrote the book of Romans to them, told them his desire to come and minister to them and worship with them. But Paul's never been there uh, himself. And while he's yet 40 miles away, it says in verse 15, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appy Forum on the Appian Way, that main, uh, I guess like you would call I-95 uh, in Rome. And the end of verse 15 tells us whom when Paul saw them, he thanked God. He took courage. He was encouraged by their presence. I mean, this was something that Romans did for their emperor. When he would come back from a trip or a military conquest, they would go out, you know, 40, 50 miles and bring him back into the city like a big parade, like an entourage. And this is what they're doing for the apostle Paul. Of course, that has to be an encouragement to him. You know, that's my emotional state, honestly, every time we gather together for worship Sunday, Wednesday, ladies' conference, Friday and Saturday. And that's God's design. He wants you to feel that way, too, about when we gather together. That's his design in the brethren. And, well, last two days in the cistern, all right? Um, don't deprive yourself of the grace of God in your life that, that the church is. Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. And God tells us that in Hebrews. He says, you need to be meeting all the more, not less, as you see that day approaching. You need to be coming together all the more as my day of return comes near. And so here's the thing. May, may Paul's testimony be ours in this passage. When something difficult comes my way, 
instead of my response being, why me again, God? What if, if when wave after wave of difficult circumstances come our way, what would happen if instead of why me again, we said, who do you want me to point to you in this? You got a purpose in it. Who is it, God, that you want me to point to you in this? What if our prayer would be, God, give me the eyes of Jesus. Show me who I can bring closer to you by me choosing to praise you in this storm. Give thanks, just like Paul did here. May Paul's testimony be ours, always being on mission, never, never letting life just happen. Fighting, being distracted by what's temporal and what's tedious. We've been given a commission. Uh, it is such a privilege. Isn't that crazy that God, he could, do, he could have saved people a billion different ways, but he chose to have somebody tell you about the gospel. Probably a few people. And then this Holy Spirit called you to faith in Christ. And he wants you to tell other people about the gospel so that they come to faith in Christ. What a privilege that is for us who have been saved. We've been saved for a reason. We've been saved to serve. God makes it clear in his word as he has right here this morning. We are not the end of our salvation. God did not save you just to save you. Like, well, you're saved. That's it. You're in the door. No. He didn't save you just to escape the penalty of sin. So you don't have to go to hell. You can have a home in heaven forever. He didn't save you just so that you could escape the power of sin and that's all. No. He saved you so that you can declare the gospel, so you can display to everyone around you that you're his, that you're a new creation, that, that as it says in 2 Peter and, and in Revelation, you're a kingdom of priests in service to him. So Lord, in what we value and what we say and what we do, may all of us here testify that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy like Jesus Christ. We've been saved to serve. Are you doing that? Who are you pointing to Christ? Save to serve. Are you doing that? Where? Where? How? How is it that you're doing that? How are you actively making the name of Jesus treasured here, there, and everywhere? Tell God this morning you'll do that. Tommy, would you come and lead us in a hymn as we have a time to respond to God's word this morning?